0: Appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Pastor David. Uh, what a joy it is for us to be here. Uh, usually, when preachers go and preach somewhere, they're by themselves, maybe the wife's with them, you know. But we have, uh, I think, 15, 16 of us all together. Uh, we have a young lady from uh, Kenya, from Nairobi, who, one of our missionaries, who joined with us for our trip over the last two weeks. And I started when we started the trip, I said, now, you know, we're going to be going all over the countryside in this little minibus, and it's not very comfortable, I can tell you, and I said, we're friends now, and I really hope you're, we're going to be friends at the end of these two weeks, you know, and I mentioned that this morning, I said, you know, imagine that, I says, we've been through this whole thing, it just went like that, and I think I've seen more of Northern Ireland the last two weeks than I've had in any concentrated period of time my whole life, you know, and I said to them, you know, isn't that amazing, we're still friends after all this time. And they said, well, we still have two days to go yet, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, it's a real privilege for us to be here, and especially for my good friend David Moore and, and Hazel. Uh, we were saved within a month of each other. Back in 1979, uh, David was saved and I think it was the 29th of March, 79, and I was saved the 29th of April, 79. And later on in that spring, both of us walked forward in a, in a meeting and gave ourselves to the Lord that he might use us in any way he, he saw fit and uh, it's been a, that's 43 years ago plus and uh, we've been friends all of these years and we're very grateful for uh, Brother David and uh, we're grateful to be here today with you folks we, we kind of watch you on the, on the TV you know uh, all the way in, in Tennessee and uh, we listen to the preaching some of our men here preach probably listen more to David than listen to me I don't know <clears throat> but we're certainly glad to be here with you today well, let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter number four. Someone said to me this morning that David looked like my brother. And he'll probably tell you some stories about that. Uh, but I always say, well, he got, the, he got the brains and I got the good looks. But I think probably you might be thinking, well, neither of the two of you got the good looks, right? <laughs> Amen. Genesis chapter four, verses one to five. And Adam knew his. Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bore Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect on the Abel and to his offering, but on the Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Our Father, this morning we're grateful to be among friends with kindred hearts and minds. Lord, as we look into your precious word, we ask and pray for liberty and help for those who listen and help for me who speaks. We ask, O God, that you'd give us clarity about the things of God and the things that are important in our approach to God. Lord, if there's anyone here, one listening over the internet who's not yet a Christian, that you'd help them to understand the issues and what it is that they must do in order to come to God. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us and you'll be with us this morning. We may sense your presence. Indeed, Lord, close us in with your presence this morning. And Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you are to us. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> I, I said to Pastor Muir, you know, we're coming to Northern Ireland, and uh, he very kindly invited me to come to preach. And I think it was about a week later, he says, Oh, Tom, that's, he says, that's our harvest service. You, you need to have a harvest a harvest message. And I thought to myself, you know, it, it kind of it took me back years. I was speaking with a man in Gormley one time in our church there, and this came up about harvest services. And uh, he was very strong. He scorned the idea of having a harvest service, and he used chapter three and chapter, uh, sorry, verse three and verse five there uh, to argue his point that God was against bringing the fruit of the field into the church. Speaking about about Cain's offering, how it was unacceptable to God, and so all this, uh, these beautiful baskets and these beautiful arrangements, he was against all of that. Now, there's probably a sentiment maybe more at home in urban town churches than here in the country. But it provoked me as I was thinking about harvest service, it provoked me in my thinking about this subject and really to go back to these verses to see really what these verses mean. And they asked the question this morning, why was Cain's offering not respected by God? Now that's an important question because the fruit of the field is, is often brought to God as an offering in the Old Testament. And, for example, the seven feasts of the Lord. So I know Pastor Muir is going to be preaching on this, and I thought I'd steal out of thunder. No, I'm only joking you. But you're starting, you've started the series in Leviticus chapter 23, the seven feasts of the Lord. It's a wonderful, wonderful teaching. It takes you really from Christ's first coming to his second coming. And you'll, I know you're already enjoying that that series. But in Leviticus 23, the first feast is the Feast of Passover on the 14th of Nisan. On the very next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the 15th. And then there's the Feast of First Fruits. And this is where it moves from uh, the dates to the actual days because the Sabbath of Passover week is called a high Sabbath. And the reason being is because the day after the Sabbath of Passover, was the first day of the week, and that was the feast of first fruits. Whenever the Sabbath came on that particular calendar, the next day was the feast of first fruits. And then the feast of first fruits, that was the beginning of the barley harvest. You see all of the feasts of the Lord and Leviticus 23, Haa, they surround the harvest, the harvest of Israel. And there were three main harvests. The first harvest was the barley harvest, then there was the wheat harvest. And then there was the harvest of fruit and nut and olives later on in the year. And early in the morning of the first day of the week after the Passover Sabbath, the high priest servant would go into the field of barley. He would cut a sheaf of barley. He would bring it into the temple of the Lord. He would bring the fruit of the field into the temple of the Lord. He would wave it before the Lord. Nobody could cut any barley until that service had been accomplished on that day. Day, the first day. And of course, all of these feasts speak to us of Christ. The Passover is our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who died for us. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Really, that's speaking about our salvation. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is about getting the leaven out. Leaven is always a picture of sin. It's really speaking about our sanctification, salvation, sanctification. And then when we think about first fruits, Guess when Jesus was resurrected? He was resurrected on the first day of the week after the Sabbath of the Passover. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection because he lives, we too shall live. And so really in those first three feasts, you have our salvation, our sanctification, our glorification. And then we come to the feast of Pentecost. Pente meaning 50. And it's really 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. It's called the Feast of Weeks. You have seven weeks. And then it it's on that Passover, or sorry, the, the Sabbath, and then the day after the Sabbath, the fiftieth day, is the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of First Fruits always happen on the first day of the week. That means Christ was raised on the first day of the week. That's where we're meeting here on Sunday instead of Saturday. And the church began on Pentecost, which was the first day of the week. But Pentecost was also about harvest. It was the wheat harvest. And they would bake two loaves of bread, two loaves of bread. And they would come before the Lord and they would weave them before the Lord as a wave offering. You say, what well, does that symbolize? People think Pentecost is about the Holy Spirit. And of course the Holy Spirit did come on Pentecost. But traditionally, historically, biblically, Pentecost is about harvest. You know, the longest time between any of the feasts is between uh, the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets, the next one. thats the lo- And so that's our harvest time. Do you know that's where we are right now? This is our service to the Lord. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And who is it that's getting saved? There's two loaves. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, of twain he made one new man. You know, the church is not Israel and Israel is not the church. You have the Jew and the Gentile. I think that's what's symbolized in those two loaves. God is doing something completely different, something new. He takes the Jew and the Gentile, and now he begins something new called the church. But what I'm saying is these feasts of the Lord involve the fruit of the field being brought before the Lord as an offering to him. The fall feasts, of course, begin later on on the first day of the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets. And that's a mysterious feast. You have to look back in history to see what the future fulfillment of trumpets is and if you look back in history you'll find that it always revolves around the sacrificial system in Israel when Nazareth came back uh, to teach the people and, and uh, Zerubbabel came back for the temple did you know that they sacrificed even before they got the temple rebuilt they sacrificed on the first day of the seventh month and there was a religious revival in the nation of Israel we will say more about that That's on the first day of the seventh month, the tenth day, the Yom Kippur, the Feast of Atonement. And then the last one, the 15th through the 22nd, and the most joyous feast of all, the last one is the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And they were reminded of the goodness of God. That's basically around this period of time. It's interesting, that week of the Feast of Tabernacles is a week when their homes were empty and their barns were full. Think of that. During the time of the Feast of Tab, the reason it's called Tabernacles is because everybody came out of their houses. They built little huts. When I was growing up, we used to build huts. And uh, they built a little hut on the side of the house. And they would come out of their own bedrooms and out of their own house. And they'd be living for a whole week in this hut. Why did they do that? God was helping them to, re- to remind them of what it was like when they had nothing. When they were not in the land. When they were in the exodus. When they came out of Egypt and they had nothing except God. And that's all they really needed. But you know the Feast of Tabernacles that week when they're out of their own homes, their homes are empty, but you know what? Their barns were full. Because the Feast of Tabernacles is about the ingathering of all the harvests, and their barns were packed full. And really what what thanks what the Tabernacles was about was about thanksgiving and remembering and rejoicing in the abundant goodness of God that God had given them this land of milk and honey and that they would be so thankful and grateful. But what I'm saying here in this first example is that offerings of the fruit of the field was an important part of worship and obedience to the children of Israel. Why then was it unacceptable with Cain's offering? Another example, if you turn please to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Another example of this was in their tithing. And in Deuteronomy, God gives to Moses the the law the second time and he helps them understand what the rules were when they get into the land. And tithing or giving 10% was something that uh, God had instructed them in. Now, we could read this whole chapter, but for time's sake, we won't. Let's just read verses 1 and 2 and then verse number 10. And it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possess it and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy land, that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall put it in a basket. It's interesting, some of these fruits are in, they're in baskets. That's kind of interesting, because he tells the Israelites to do that. Put them in a basket, and shall go on to the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. They're to bring it to Jerusalem. They're to bring it to the temple. They're to offer it unto the Lord. In verse number 10, And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land. It's kind of interesting if you read through there in verse 5. The man who brings this offering said, you know, I was a pure man, a pure Syrian. I I was destitute. I had nothing. But God was good to me and God was gracious to me. And he's brought me into this land of milk and honey. And he gives all the glory and all the credit to God. Because I'm going to tell you something. You know what a tithe is? Tithe involves worship. And we probably won't take the time this morning, but um, in Genesis 28 and verse 20 to 22, when Jacob left home at the age of 77, that's when he left home, and he went out and he established his own relationship with God at Bethel. And you remember the dream of the latter? And and, uh, Jacob says to God, he makes a vow unto God, Um, he says, if God will be with me. And will keep me in this way that I go. And will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. So that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. Not just the God of Abraham and Isaac. But the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. Now watch. And of all that thou shalt give me. I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I tell people this. If God doesn't give you anything. you shouldn't give anything back. You see tithe tithing is a response of worship to what God has done for me. Everything I have is, belongs to God. He's given it to me in his mercy and in his grace. And as I worship him, there's a tangible way of acknowledging that. And that's bringing the 10th back to the Lord. That's what tithing is. People think tithing is a drudgery. It should be something that is part of your worship. And as we go back to Deuteronomy 26 and verse number 10, and now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thy, the Lord has given me. Notice that. And bring in the first fruits of that which God gave to me. Giving 10% back is worship. And here it was that it was the first fruits of the land. And I shall set it up before the Lord thy God. And now watch. And worship before the Lord thy God. These offerings that the Israelites brought to the Lord, they were to not do with hardened hearts or cold hearts. They were to come in gratefulness and thankfulness and worship. Worship is it's from the old English word which means worship or worthyship. We're giving God his proper place. That's what worship is. Now what I'm saying is this. As we go through the Old Testament, we read verses like Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase, and so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy precious shall burst out with new wine. And so I'm in, a, I'm in a disagreement with my friend and brother from Glengormley. I think this is a very proper thing, and it is something that has its bases um, in the Scriptures. But what I'm saying to us this morning is this, bringing the fruit of the field was about worship. It was about thanksgiving. As a sacrifice of thanksgiving was offered, and even Leviticus chapter 7 verse 12, the thanksgiving offering was made with flour, a fruit of the field. And as you bring this fruit this morning, it speaks of a token of thankfulness and gratefulness and worship to God, knowing that if it wasn't for him, we would be destitute and starving. We would have nothing And God has given us the bounty of the land and our hearts are grateful and our hearts are thankful. So if the fruit of the field was an acceptable offering to God later in the Old Testament, why did God not accept Cain's offering? Well, the answer is in the Scriptures. And we could start, first of all, thinking again about the seven feasts of the Lord. And those feasts were Thanksgiving feasts. The people were saying, thank you, Lord, for the barley. Thank you, Lord, for the wheat. Thank you for the nuts and for the, uh, the, the olives and for the fruit. Lord, thank you for all that you have provided. But the first feast, what comes first? Before Thanksgiving, before worship, before the offering of first fruits, there is something that happens first, and it is the lamb. It is the blood. And we have the Passover and God says when I see the blood I will pass over you. The lamb is always first. Always first. When Adam and Eve sought to cover their nakedness, they made themselves aprons. They sewed those fig leaves together. They made aprons to cover their nakedness. I believe it went from their neck to their ankles. When God saw them, he said, you know, that's not acceptable. And God had to redress them. And the Bible says that God clothed them with skins. You know the first animal, the first thing that ever died, died at the hands of God. And by the way, you can't have skins without blood. And so innocent blood was shed. And Adam and Eve, by the way, Adam and Eve had to voluntarily take off the fig leaves and discard the aprons in order to receive what God has done. You know, in order for you to receive Jesus as your saviour, You've got to stop trusting in your own deeds and your own works and your own brownie points and your own religion. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 in his testimony. He says, I was the poster boy for Judaism, but the things that were gained to me I counted loss, that I might be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. But you know, Paul, Saul could never have gotten saved. Until, first of all, he rejected his own efforts. And so Adam and Eve put off the the aprons that they had made by the work of their own hands, and they received by the grace and the gift of God the skins. And no doubt Adam and Eve had passed under their sons, who at this point could have been 130 years old. Seth wasn't born until uh, Adam was uh, 130. Um, And so. They could have been 130 years old. There's a long time past, and Adam and Eve would have instructed them. But I think probably more likely than that is that God himself instructed them because of what it says of Abel in in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You see, these boys indeed had been instructed And Abel believed in the instruction and he was obedient to the instruction that the lamb always comes first. They were instructed that the way of God was not through their works. It was not through the sweat of their brow. That the way of God was not through worship. Because you know what? Cain's offering was a legitimate thanksgiving worship offering. He was offering God the fruit of the field. And it it could have been considered worship but they had already been instructed that you don't come to God by worship. And you don't come to God through thankfulness. You come to God by blood. By the sacrifice of the innocent lamb. The lamb is always first. It has always been that way. It always shall be that way. The lamb is always first. Cain came with worship. Abel came with blood. First the lamb. Now this principle is very important for us today. Because we live in a time in which man approaches God in his own way, in his own self-styled manner. Of course, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that men, as they reject the knowledge of God, reinvent God in their own image and in the, after their own imaginations. And so, they bring to God what they think God should have. Instead of reading what God has already revealed about and God says, this is the way you're to approach me. This is the way you're to come. But people, they ignore all of that. And they're very pleased and pious as they go about approaching God their own way, just as Cain did. I remember as a boy, I'm sure you still have it, Songs of Praise. Do we still have that? I remember when I was a wee boy living in Glengormley. I did start out in our door and your pastor was right. And uh, because of the troubles, we moved when I was, I think I was about, um, maybe about nine or 10, we had to leave. And we went to Cormone for a couple of years, and then we lived up around the Horseshoe Bend for five years, and then we ended up in Glen Gormley. But I remember watching songs of praise, and we didn't go to church. And i never forget, I was sitting on the settee, and I was watching songs of praise, and these people singing these wonderful songs, and there was something within me, There was just this desire that welled up within me to be a part of that. I desired to worship the whoever God was, the one that created me. You know, I think every man has that in himself. I think every man has this need to worship. Of course, men are worshipping different things and But worship is acceptable to man. But when they've ever watched songs of praise, have you ever seen any preaching? I don't remember any preaching. And he certainly didn't remember anybody talking about sin and guilt and judgment and hell. I mean, what are you really going to praise God for if you don't really understand the gospel? I never heard anything about the gospel, about Jesus and substitution and his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins, his death, and resurrection for our salvation. I never heard anything about that on songs of praise. But you'll get all the worship songs and all the praise and all of that. And that's wonderful because men will accept that. But when you come to what God says about sin and salvation and Jesus Christ as the only Savior, the BBC's not going to put that on. And so I believe with Cain and Abel, just as with them, that same issue back then is still prevalent today. We have modern, popular, cutting edge churches that are all about worship. And it's all about the worship. And they want you to feel the worship. In fact, they'll manufacture worship because they'll deaden the lights and they'll pump the music up and there'll be smoke and everything else. And you've got this thing that, you know, it looked like a nightclub to me, but that's all about generating emotion within you so that you have this experience of worship. It's all about worship. But what about the blood? What about sin? What about condemnation? What about eternal punishment? What about Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation? Oh, they're very light on that, many of them. The sacrifice of the lamb is ignored. And they insert worship. Many of these modern churches, my friend, that's what it's all about. we got the same problem today as Cain and Abel had in their day. By the way, it's not just about the modern churches. It's also the established churches, the denominational churches, the traditional churches. I'm sure you, like I, watched the Queen's funeral. I think I watched every service from there in Edinburgh and the one in Belfast and then the one in London. And at the Queen's funeral, there was much worship. I mean, you've seen these politicians. I mean, Lord knows. And they were singing these wonderful songs about God and worship. But, you know, I was listening very carefully. I didn't didn't hear anything about sin. I didn't hear anything about condemnation. I didn't hear anything about the blood of Jesus Christ and him being the savior of sin and from sin. You see, worship is acceptable, but the blood, the lamb, that's something different. Now, I will say this. I'm very grateful that the queen chose the songs. She chose the scriptures for her funeral. And I love the when they stood this, and they, they couldn't do anything else because he had it all written out, all planned beforehand. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The where I am there, you may be also. And that's where most of them would stop. But the Queen said, I want verse 5 and I want verse 6. Thomas said unto them, we know not where you're going. How come we know the way And Jesus? Now watched Jesus saying, and they quoted this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I think the queen was trying to tell us something there. How many times have I witnessed the people who went to churches, traditional churches, Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, Church of Ireland. And Pastor Moore and I, have done a lot of this. Knocking on doors. That was what we did for years and years and years. We knocked on doors. And I remember a little lady. this one that happened, Could be duplicated hundreds of times. A little lady come out and I says, I says, hello, I'm from, uh, Pastor Phyllis from so and so. Uh, and do you go to church anywhere? Now going to church is not going to get you to heaven. But for somebody who's talking to somebody who you don't know, it helps you to understand where they're coming from, okay? So it just gives you a little, a little um, head start on the conversation. And she said, yes, that for the last 45 years, I've been going to such and such Presbyterian church. And I would say, that's wonderful. Well, it is wonderful if somebody's going to church for 45 years, anywhere, that's wonderful. And then I say this, my friend, are you a saved Presbyterian? Oh, no, son. No, 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 no. No, I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. And I, and I just it boggles my mind I'm sitting there i thinking to myself "What you've been going to church for 45 years and you're not a Christian you're not saved well, I mean, what are you doing there I'll tell you what they're doing there they're, they're worshipping I'll tell you something else they're learning the precepts of Christianity and they're trying to become disciples of the Lord without being believers first do you know it's not a disciple being a disciple will not take you to heaven hello Judas was a disciple do you know he goes to heaven believers it is possible to be a disciple without being a believer. It's also possible to be a believer without being a disciple. You see, discipleship will cost you. Salvation is free. They're two different concepts altogether. And it really bothers me when people say, talk about their salvation. Yes, I gave, the, I gave my life to God. They're talking about their salvation experience. I give my heart to Christ. I give my life to the Lord. And I'm thinking the only thing I gave to Christ when I got saved was my sin and my condemnation and my hell. I didn't bring him anything. I was lost and undone. What I received from the Lord was salvation. It was his gift to me. I didn't do anything for God. Salvation is free, friend. And if you think that, um, you know, being a disciple is what's going to get you into heaven, it won't. Salvation happens in a moment, in an instant, the moment your heart believes and trusts and receives Christ's sacrifice on the cross. When you come to the Lamb and you allow his blood to wash away your sins, that's when you get seeing. What about you this morning in this fine Bible-believing church? Do you love to sing the songs about the Lord? or are looking at the hymns and, and the songs, and you love to sing about the Lord, and you love to think about your Creator, and you go out into this beautiful countryside, and you look at all the... I mean, how can you not give God the glory for all the beauty, the intricacy, the, the detail, the... The artistry, the genius of his creation. And really, you may say this morning, I truly am grateful and I'm thankful. And you may even be a worshipper of God. Yet you haven't been to the cross. You have yet to believe on the Lamb. And to have his blood wash your sins away. Can I remind you this morning that the Lamb is first. Do you know why Cain's offering was not received? Because it was the wrong one. He brought an offering of worship, of thanksgiving. And that will not save you. The only thing that will save you is the blood of his own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lamb that is first. You must come to the Lamb first. Then all these other things will take place. I must go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. In 1924... And I know this won't fit here. (laughs) But in 1924, the Baseball World Series was held. And it was the New York Giants playing the Washington Senators. And they were playing at the the home field of the Washington Senators. And the, the, the whole series was tied after six games. And they came down to the final game, which was to be played at the Senators' Field. And now the game was, the final game for the championship was being played, and the, the teams were tied three runs each. And it came down to the last batter, and his name was Leon Goose Goslin. And he'd already been struck out twice, and you all know what, what the third strike is third striker out. So here's the last ball that's coming. And old Goose Goslin took his baseball bat and he leaned into the ball, and the, the, the pitcher pitched the ball, and boy, he hit that. Hit that baseball and it soared way out. Now, if it goes into the, the stands, it's an automatic home run. But he's just shy of that. And it dropped into the outfield. Well, he knew what he had to do. He had to run. He had to run. And he started running for first base and second base and third base. And he came into home plate and he slid in. And the crowd went wild because he'd made this home run. And it, it won the game for them, or so they thought. The old umpire stood forward and he went, All right! And the crowd went, nuts, what what do you mean I? And he said, I was watching. As Goose Goslin ran the bases, he missed first base. He hit second, he hit third, he hit home run, but he missed first base. And if you don't know this, they have to hit the base to make the home run, and he didn't hit the base. And he was out. And the game was over. And the New York Giants won. Do you know something? if you don't come by the way of the cross, if it's not the lamb first, all of your worship, all of your church attendance, all of your discipleship counts for naught. You're out. You'll be disappointed because the very thing that God is looking for is the blood of his own dear son. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And friend, you may be in this wonderful church this morning and you may be even a member here. But you know in your heart of hearts you're a worshipper of God. But you have never believed upon Jesus Christ to wash away your sins. And I'm telling you, you're lost. You're right. It's not going to work. Because it's the Lamb. The Lamb must be first. You need Jesus. You don't need the church. You need Christ. If you're here this morning, that's your condition. Pastor, we'd love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. But please understand this morning your need. And as wonderful as this is, and this is a thanksgiving offering, this is saying, Lord, we're grateful. But you know, we can only do this, really, because we know him, the Lamb of God. Let us bow together for prayer. Lord, our hearts are stirred by these truths this morning because we look around us and we see so many that are misled in religion. Churchianity, even true worshippers have gone. We're reminded the woman at the well was a worshipper, but she wasn't saved. We're reminded that Cornelius was a devout man, a worshipper, but he wasn't saved. We're reminded that Saul was a worshipper, but he wasn't saved. we remember that Cain was a worshipper, but he wasn't saved. Lord, I know it would be just a great heartbreak to you. If there's people in this building today that come with hearts of gratefulness and they're truly worshiping you, but Lord, they've never come by the way of the cross. Help them, Lord, right now to know that they have need and help them to be willing to come to the Lamb of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.